This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and author and an executive coach, and today I am delighted to welcome Kate Bravery to the show. Kate will discuss how we can get the future of work right. Kate, I am so excited about our conversation today. Welcome. Caroline, it's wonderful to be here. Um, This is one of the podcasts that I really wanted to have a discussion on. So thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. Oh my goodness. We had a lovely chat before we started the show today, and we were talking about how everyone wants to get the future of work right. Yet we're early in a brand new year and you and I both agreed we can feel the stress and the overwhelm with people in our world and and frankly ourselves starting to mount. So let's start this conversation talking about what does it look like to get the world of work right? Where do we start in this post-pandemic journey? I think getting the world of work right is very personal. And one of the exciting things that has come out of the pandemic is the opportunity that we've had to slow down and reflect on how well is our current jobs and careers serving us and what kind of work and what kind of life do we want in the future? And that translated in the workplace to much more employee advocacy, which has been really exciting and interesting to see how that's influenced HR and people leaders. But also at the same time, we're on this cusp of a brand new era of human machine teaming. And I think that's forcing us to really have an honest conversation about what skills do I bring to the table? What do humans do uniquely better than machines? And so I think that is really exciting. And I think capturing that and bringing the opportunities that human machine teaming ushers in and this newfound advocacy about what we want is really the bedrock of ensuring that our future careers are the careers that we would choose to have. I so agree, Kate. And it's really interesting because we were talking about how AI and technology in general, whether it's artificial intelligence or virtual reality, should be optimizing what we're doing. You write beautifully about the people age and specifically winning in the people age. So let's take a little deep dive there. And I'd love to hear your take on how do we remain focused on honoring the humans while optimizing the technology? I couldn't agree with you more, Caroline. This, the opportunity of our age is to double down on human capability. And it's not going to be how quickly we can embrace the technology that will make the difference. It's how quickly our people can upskill and take that opportunity to work and to live a little bit differently. We are in an incredibly exciting age. And I think some of the concerns I have, and you and I have spoken before that I lead our research at Mercer on global talent trends. And one of the dominating themes this year is productivity. How can this age of AI deliver increased productivity? And executives believe that it's going to deliver about 30 to 50 percent uplift. Now, whether you agree with that or not, whether we're talking generative AI broad or or previous versions of AI, doesn't matter. Because I think the opportunity is less about how does that translate into less roles than we have today? And it's more interesting to say, what capacity does that give us 
to really reimagine work because we spent these pandemic years imagining what work could be. We had a lot of conversations about the great reset and taking this opportunity to build our work environments around how people wanted to work and how we could make sure that people are thriving and work was more sustainable and less exhausting. And yet the reality is we haven't achieved that. And certainly as the economic climate has changed, we see even more that we're actually going backwards. We've got more people at risk of burnout than we've ever seen before. We've got more people feeling fed up. We've got more people feeling that they're just working for a paycheck. I look at this data year on year, something's broke. And I hope that we take the opportunities of this age to usher in what we call the people age, one which is focused around the health and well-being of our people and making sure that we build this new world of work around human-centric values. And we make sure that these opportunities that are ahead of us remain in service of humans and build their future prosperity to help them stay employable, help them have better health and wealth outcomes. All of these, I think, are achievable in a way that they haven't been in the past, but we need to make intentional choices to usher that in. I love that phrase, in service of humans, that, that's so poignant. And to that end, you've introduced what I think is a really compelling concept that we should think of employees as contributors instead of workers. So say more about that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you were saying earlier about how do we usher in this new world of work? And I don't think there is a set template But I do think there are some truths that have emerged out of this period. And this period between the pandemic and the onset of ChatGPT was just a few years. But we witnessed more change in our attitudes towards work in those few years than we have in the last few decades. And I've been analysing what are some of those shifts that we see in in workers' sentiment and what do they mean for people leaders? And and some of the ones I talk about in the book are around work-life balance. You know, the, the old world of work was, I will shift my life to fit around the way my company works and their defined work patterns. What we see now from the younger generation is they want more lifestyle integration. You know, they're saying, I want to bring my best self to work. So work needs to fit around my life and respect me as a whole person. We also see differences in how they think about careers. You know, the old world was, I expect to be trained for my job and I'll be reskilled as my responsibilities change. Whereas now what we're seeing is, you know, whilst I'm with this company, I expect to earn valuable skills and I hope to be more marketable for a job inside or outside the company. We also see some differences around how people um, climb the ladder. Um, you and I probably did some of the things which was biding our time, um, you know, get building up that credit um, and and then we'll get the perks and opportunities that would follow. Um, the new generation wants to be valued for what they bring to the table today. You know, my worth is is defined by how I'm contributing. They also just they also want to contribute on a broader range array of topics. So not just contributing to bottom line return, but also contributing to social causes and ESG and other things that give them fulfillment in their jobs. There's a few other things as well around um, fitting in with the existing culture versus I actually want to be part of the influence on the culture. And I think that was one of the really poignant pieces that changed as we came out of the pandemic years. 
And it's so interesting when you reference the the multi generational view of the world of work and how things have changed. I'm I'm solidly in Generation X, <laughs> and I, I'm seeing more and more baby boomers. Many of them are retired, but the the vast majority are now fully retired and and leaving the workforce, which really shows the differences with Generation Z, our millennials, and our Gen Xs, and even the the new alpha generation, right? The the youngsters who aren't even in the workforce. But I feel like the rubber has hit the road, as it were, and we're really seeing those differences now in a very beautiful way. You know, it's really fascinating. One of the questions we ask in Global Talent Trends every year is what, what helps you thrive? And we've had a lot of stability over the last few years. The main thing that helps people thrive is sort of pride in the in the brand, um, feeling that they're recognised for their contribution. What we've seen this year move up the ranks is a sense of belonging. People want to belong to the organisation. But the big differences on the generations is um, we see that baby boomers want to um, thrive when they feel their health and well-being is being looked after today and they're getting flexible work options and that they can maybe still contribute but step back in terms of days and hours and, and that type of thing. And yet the younger generation, um, Gen Z and Gen Y, one of the things that they call out really helps them thrive is actually having financial security in the future. And I think if we'd come into that, we'd probably predict those that were retiring would be more concerned about long-term financial health um, and the younger ones would be craving that flexibility and that well-being and actually the data is flipped and I think that shows a lot about what's on the minds of our young people today and the amount of hours that we see they are consumed with worrying about financial matters has really spiked this year and I think that's a, a real concern for individuals particularly when we start to see some of the the gaps particularly in in pension equity and other topics like that. Kate, we'll be right back after a quick break. I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code CDHWORK. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code CDHWORK. Hiring the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. Connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. Kate, I'm, I'm fascinated. Uh, you are a researcher and you will share some, some data about uh, the extensive burnout. Something that, that I learned recently is that the World Health Organization identified burnout as a workplace issue 
and not a self-care issue. So the world of work is directly impacting how people are burn, burning out. So how do we solve this? You know, this is this has become um, really catastrophic to to our productivity and our well-being. Thank you, Caroline. You're absolutely right. And we were just chatting before um, the call about some of the most recent burnout statistics that we're seeing. And I think it's 82% of people globally feel at risk of burnout in the next 12 months, which, you know, how do we get here? Um, definitely, we saw it much lower before the pandemic in the early 60s. And then post the pandemic, it absolutely spiked. And the, the main thing we were hearing from employees was the combination of more traditional ways of working layered on with hybrid working and new technology. I think one leader was sharing with us that had 18 new tech processes um, introduced over the last year. And that's just staggering because, of course, that's a load on top of your normal workday. In the book, we talk a lot about energy being treated as a finite resource and that we need to start looking at energy and managing it in the same way that we manage our budgets. The companies I think are making real strides there are doing a few things differently. There's quite a few companies quoted in the book that are looking at work design with an eye to how do we make work more sustainable? How do we um, enable people to have more breaks, more capacity? How do we focus on the things that humans do uniquely well and love doing about this job? And maybe use technology or outside resources to take away some of the more mundane and repetitive tasks. And I think that's really paying dividends. There's another case study in the book where a company has said, we're going to make a concerted effort that every internal policy is going to be reduced by 50%. Now, Gen AI is certainly helping with that. Um, but again, setting out with that mission to look at the tax that we're putting on people, um, I think really makes a difference. And the third one that I would point to is there's a number of organizations looking at strategic workforce planning, not just through the lens of what are the external demands that are going to be hitting our workforce, but also mapping the internal demands from the big transformation projects we've got and which parts of the workforce they're hitting and when. And I think when you start to have that really honest picture, you make very different decisions about prioritization. You spend more time inspiring and engaging people to be part of the change and really focus on what are the most essential things that we need to transform while also keeping an eye to the employee experience because a distracted, depleted and disengaged pipeline isn't really a pipeline for talent anyway. So true. And, and the reality is the, the employees who are unhappy are leaving. So retention is an issue and it it is an expensive business case, right? When there's a revolving door of talent with a need to rehire. Absolutely. And I think there is a better way to be doing it. One of the case studies in the book um, is from Standard Chartered. Um, the chief people officer there, Tanuj, was talking around. They did an experiment looking when we retrench people and then we hire versus reskill and redeploy, we lose about 40, I think about 48K per person US dollars. That's a staggering amount. And I think what we're seeing is as companies are trying to right size, to fit today, as opposed to taking that more strategic approach of we need to build capacity in our roles to today so people can learn for tomorrow, we can keep them employable, and we can intentionally move people from sunrise roles, sunset roles, I should say, into sunrise roles, we all win. And that's very much that more human-centric thinking and approach to work that we've been advocating in the book. 
I love the human-centric approach, and I'd I'd love to to hear your thoughts. Uh, in the U.S., we have always revolved around a forty-hour work week for many jobs, but in the knowledge economy, and as you grow up the leadership ladder, those hours increase, and it's not unusual for people to work sixty, seventy, eighty plus hours in certain industries. And you and I both know it's it's simply not sustainable long term. Did your research or any of the work that you've conducted unearth that we might reduce the expectation of hours per week or think about it differently to honor the humans who are doing the work? Well, firstly, Caroline, that, that that's, I think, where we should all be heading. I mean, this wonderful opportunity that we now have with AI coming in and delivering the opportunity to have greater productivity, this is our chance to hit pause. This is our chance to say this gives us air and capacity in our P&L to hopefully think about if we do have a productivity dividend coming out of these digital innovations, do we just flow that to the bottom line and return it to shareholders? Or do we think intentionally about how we use that? Our research, as Mercer has shown, that if we fully embrace some of the new technologies that are hitting our workforce today, we could, on average, save about 36 days of work. And those are days that can be used to maybe have a look at a four-day work week, maybe have a look at how we can embed upskilling and reskilling in the jobs of today, or even encourage people to find their next passion, their next career path through internal gigs, talent marketplaces. And I think we've seen some real success on that front because you and I both know that your next career is probably not your boss's job. It's probably going to be something that's going to combine your skills in unique ways. But if we don't step out of our silo or our reporting hierarchy, we're not going to experience that. And so I do hope that we take this opportunity to rethink what does that life experience look like with work, learning and breaks as part of it. But you and I have just been saying we're right at the beginning of a new year and we're already hearing that people are feeling overwhelmed, too many priorities, multiple hats. And so I do think we need to do some intentional work design. We've been doing work with clients where we've been deconstructing jobs into their individual tasks and looking at what's right for automation or cognitive automation and then reconfiguring them in new ways so that individuals add more value, but also are encouraged to build skills that keep them employable in the longer term, given what humans can do really well. So that's on the organization side. For individuals, I think the reality is, if the world of work is not working for you, and I think many people do think fundamentally it's broken, we've also got to take more control back ourselves. I think the move towards skills-based organizations is great for individuals because it challenges us to say, what are the skills I really bring to the table and what two or three more skills would make me more employable in the future? But I also think it challenges us to look at our own work habits. What are the things that we did in 2023 that are no longer serving as well? And what are the one or two new ways we need to change our behavior in 2024? And I think tech can be a great partner in, in challenges on, on how we really work, where we really spend our time, and blocking out some time so that we can be a bit more disciplined and make sure that we have a, a full life, not just a 
work long hours life. Exactly. Because that that's what I'm hearing in the trenches as an executive coach. People want to have a vibrant and robust career, but not at the sacrifice of their lives or their health. So I, I hear you loud and clearly. We should be able to celebrate both simultaneously. Absolutely. And the challenge is it goes unnoticed. Can we all work 50, 60 hours a week? Yes. Um, Should we have to do that to be recognized and for that next promotion? I'm not sure. And certainly when we start to look at the other responsibilities that we might have, caring for older older parents, caring for children, wanting to pursue interests and vocations, um, it does benefit some individuals more than others when you have that um, relentless long hour work culture. And we really do need to get away from presenteeism, particularly if we want to embrace more hybrid work, work, working and more diverse workforces that want to work in new ways. Kate, as we draw this fascinating conversation to a close, we could talk for hours. You are so uh, incredible and I'm grateful for your wisdom and expertise today. I'd like to ask you one final question. You wrote in the book so beautifully that we need to focus on people planet, and profit. So tell us a little more about that. One, I think that this is absolutely where every organization should be turning their heads for business reasons, as well as to inspire their people. The voice from Gen Z has left an indelible mark that organizations need to be in service of more than just profit. Um, If you're passionate about getting the best talent into your organization and getting them fired up in making a difference, you need to be on that journey. I also believe that thinking about things in terms of broader societal context challenges us on some topics that maybe sometimes get missed. What What is our stance globally on ensuring a living wage around the world? Where are we on ensuring we have an inclusive workplace? How are we making sure that people are intentionally upskilling and reskilling in a way that isn't exhausting or outside work hours so they stay employable? And many of these topics are ones that I've had the opportunity to partner with the World Economic Forum on in service of defining what do we mean by good work? What does good work look like for a human being today? And what are some of the things that we can urge companies to sign up to to say we know that if we can ensure a living wage we know that if we can offer people flexible work options we know if we keep health and well-being and the skills agenda front of mind our people will thrive and that's not just good for the organization it's good for the longer term and so whether it's the ESG commitments whether it's good work or DEI commitments I think we all have a collective responsibility to make sure that these aren't topics we talk about when the economy is good, but they're embedded into our cultures, they're embedded into our goals, and they're embedded into the DNA of the company. And if not, then we should look at what the company is in service of. Kate Bravery, I learned so much from you today, and I'm deeply grateful that you shared your wisdom and expertise with this global audience. I'd like to remind them of the title of your incredible book, co-authored by your colleagues Ilya Bonick and Kai Anderson. It's called Work Different, 10 Truths for Winning in the People Age. And Kate, would you be so kind as to tell our listeners how they can follow you after the show? Because the book is available on Amazon and all major book retailers, but you have some great uh, opportunities to connect beyond the book. 
Yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, yeah, it's brand new out. I mean, we've touched on some of the truths today, you know, the goodbye employees, hello contributors, stressed out, burnt out and quietly quickly. And we talked about uh, some of the, the new rhythm of work that's coming in. But yeah, I would, I would love to connect with anyone um, on these truths or if you have other truths that maybe are influencing your agenda in 2024. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I've also got a podcast series myself on the new shape of work, where we talk to a number of different leaders uh, in the HR and the future of work space that talk about how they're ushering in a different way of working. And we've also got a few events that are happening. If you uh, go to the Mercer.com page, you'll find a little bit more about where to get the book and also where to hear myself and my amazing co-authors talk about um, some of the insights. It's, it's packed full of uh, lots of musical references <laughs> and uh, it's packed full of um, case examples of some of the companies that we think are not just thinking different, but are committed to working different. Kate, thank you. What what a treat to have you. And as I said, these resources are extraordinary and I learned from you and I hope that our paths continue to cross. Thank you, Caroline. It's been wonderful to chat today. I think we could have come for hours. We could have. We could have. But we'll honor not burning out and have some downtime. How about that? That sounds great. <laughs> wonderful. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms and I'd love to hear from you. So let me know how we're doing. And if you leave us a review, it will help new listeners find us online. And a special shout out to my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, our Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 34 countries. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.